When I was in college, uh, I went to school in Charleston, South Carolina, and as surprising as this may be, uh, I took up rock climbing my freshman year of college. There was a rock climbing tower, it was like 150 feet tall, that was on John's Island, and I loved it. And there's an interesting thing that happens with rock climbing. You would go out there, and I remember the first couple times going out there, and you're going up and you're seeing this massive wall, and you're like, oh, this is not that bad because it's got all the little handholds on it, right? And you start kind of messing around with it, and all of a sudden somebody who's in charge starts comes over and goes, what are you doing? What? You, you can't get on there without a rope. And I'm like, man, it's not that, not that bad. But they understood something that I didn't, is that you have to fear. In, you, you have to have a level of fear in rock climbing. And you also have to have a level of faith in your rope that is holding you. Now, you have to understand, I am not a small person who is rock climbing, right? I don't have that lean figure of these guys that were doing it. But I would go up there, and I remember at one point as I was climbing, and, and you had to jump to catch this rock, right? And I, had to, and I was going to have to spring off and jump and try to grab it. And I remember there was a, a young lady who was tied down to a rock, and she was belaying me like this, and she said, just go for it. And I went, are you nuts? She said, you got to just go for it. And I thought, yeah, what happens then? And I'll tell you what happens. If I fall, which I did numerous times, I'm heavier. She's lighter. So it was actually kind of humorous when you see this happen because basically her feet come off the ground, right? So she's now dangled and being held down by this rope that's bolted to this rock. And I'm going, praise the Lord, but the longer I did it, the more I came to trust it. And eventually, while I had a great respect and fear of rock climbing, I learned to have faith in the ropes and faith in the people that were belaying me and keeping us and keeping me safe. And this morning, as we continue our series entitled Level, we're, as we've been looking at the tensions. Uh, the tensions that exist in life that seem to be at odds with one another. This morning, we're looking at the tensions of fear and faith. Fear and faith. And how those two, while they seem to be polar opposites and be at odds with one another, how fear and faith actually work hand in hand. And the big question that we're asking this morning is how does our fear of God build our faith in God? How does our fear of God build our faith in God? And this morning, we're going to read a passage from Mark chapter 4. And as we do that, as we read Mark 4, it's a story that you may be familiar with, a story of Jesus calming the storm. And my invitation to you this morning is to come get on the boat. Come get in the boat this morning and listen, listen to the details of the firsthand account of the story of Jesus calming the storm this morning and have that question. How does fear of God build our faith in God? From Mark chapter 4, me starting in verse 35. And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes. May we grow in our fear and respect of you, and may we grow in our faith of you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So Jesus has just finished teaching, and he and his disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee, right? So you get into verse 37. What we're going to do, we're just going to walk through this passage this morning and, and kind of break it down a little bit as we do that. And so he finishes teaching. He's tired, right? So they get in the boat, and they go across the sea. And verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already being filled. Right? So this is a big storm, a hurricane-like storm. And, and let me just kind of help you understand something. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains, Right? And so when the cold air from the mountains rushes down into the valley and the warm air from the water rushes up, it creates massive storms that come about really, really quickly. And they get really, really bad and they get really nasty really quick. Uh, apparently there's even signs on the western side of the Sea of Galilee as you're parked on the beaches uh, that, that say, if you park here and it starts to rain, you'd better come get your car quick or you're walking home from dinner. Because it can happen that fast. It can raise, in one sitting, the, the Sea of Galilee can raise up during a storm over 10 feet, just like that. And so it's a big, big storm. All right, you're still in the boat with me, right? You're, we're all on the boat, right? Okay, now imagine this. The disciples, what are they doing? Well, they're freaking out, right? They are, they're starting to worry. They're starting to freak out a little bit. That's a big deal. Why? Well, you said these guys are fishermen, right? They're used to this. So it's, it's a fairly common thing for them to be on the water and for, and for the storm to come up. And if they start freaking out, guess what? If I'm with you, I'm freaking out too because these guys are used to it. And so it says the water is coming over and it's filling up the boat and they are not in a good frame of mind, right? Meanwhile, where's Jesus? Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion, right? And I just want you to pick up on the detail of this, right? Because there are folks who say, well, man, you can't believe this. This is, a, this is a miracle. How can I believe in a miracle? It's an eyewitness account. Look at all the detail that we see throughout this story. So Jesus is in it on a cushion in the back of the boat. and He is dead asleep, right? And so the disciples come up to him and they say, Teacher, do you not care that... We are perishing. How often do we feel like that? We're in the middle of a storm. We're over our heads. We're out of control. We're sinking. We feel like we're dying internally. Maybe not externally, but internally. And we're crying out and our hearts are crying out, Jesus, don't you care? Now, he isn't annoyed that they woke him up. He gets up and look at what he does. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. 
He rebukes. See, you rebuke something that you have authority over, right? Jesus doesn't ask the wind and the way. He doesn't say, hey, would you mind keeping it down a little bit? He, he doesn't wave some magic wand. Even later in the book of Acts, we hear about the disciples that are doing miracles. And when the disciples do miracles, what do they do? They do them in the name of Jesus, right? He doesn't do that. He just says, peace, be still. I mean, he is speaking to a hurricane like it's a five-year-old kid. Right? As one pastor said, he said, he basically just puts the, the storm in time out. He says, you go over there, you sit down, and you don't come up and play until I tell you to. So Jesus just puts this storm in time out, and it stops completely. Right? Last week, Kelly and I, my wife, had children's worship at 9 o'clock. And uh, if you haven't had that experience, I would strongly suggest that you do so. But there was one young man who, he was just having a hard time. And I get it. I was a hard child. I understand. Sometimes you just need a break. And so after about the 15th time of me calling his name, I finally decided to remove him from the situation for a little bit to get a break. And so we came out here. We're actually standing right out here on this wall. And one of our elders, who happened to coach football for many, many, many years, and who is so teddy bear lovingly, and yet at the same time has a very commanding presence, was also standing out here. And I have talked to this child probably 15 times. Stop, 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 right? So we come out here, and coach is standing there, and he says, what's going on? So we're just having a hard time. I said, you having a hard time? And the young man said, yeah. And he said, yes, sir. <laughs> he snapped into place. And the rest of the time went way more smoothly. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with the person who was in authority over it. And that's what Jesus did. Because you see what it says. It says, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Right? Even when the wind stops and you're on the water, the water's still choppy for a little bit. Right? No wind. No gl- it's just in the water's like glass when Jesus speaks. And so then Jesus talks to them. And in verse 40, he says, Why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And again, we're going to come back to this, but he doesn't get upset that they woke him up. He gets upset that they were scared in the first place. And then look at verse 41. And it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, when the disciples' circumstances were out of their control, The wind is howling. The waves are crashing in. They thought they were going to drown. They were scared, right? They were scared, but now they're terrified. So they were scared with the circumstances, but all of a sudden something happens, and now it says they were very afraid. They were terrified. In ancient cultures believed that the sea was uncontrollable by anyone but God, and especially the Jewish people in particular. I mean, think about the Old Testament and their understanding of the seas, and their understanding of water. Right? In Genesis, God creates the sea, something out of nothing. In Exodus, we see that God parts the sea for Israel, and then it comes crashing back down on the Egyptians. Right? You've got the story of Jonah who gets thrown overboard, and the sea is calmed. All these images have to be popping up for the disciples. And they begin to have an understanding, and they don't fully get it yet, but they begin to have an understanding of what hap- what's happening. And so when Jesus puts the storm in time out, 
He is definitively showing that he is powerful. That he is in control. And that he is God. That he is powerful. That he is in control. And that he is God. And the disciples were terrified. Terrified. Way more terrified than they were when they thought the boat was going to go down. And so this morning, there's three things that I want us to see what that means for us this morning. And the first one is this, is that number one, God should be feared. God should be feared. So we hear fear of God and we think it's a bad thing, right? We think it's outdated. We think that, um, or we just want to dismiss it altogether because we don't like the idea of fearing God. But scripture is clear that the fear of the Lord is actually a good thing, right? Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear is a respect for who God is. It's being in awe and being in wonder of the power and the majesty and the holiness of God. So fear, it's not a bad thing. Fear is a good thing, and God should be feared. And it's... I don't think it's coincidental, but you think about this Hurricane Matthew has just come through. We picked this passage out like three weeks ago, I promise. I had no idea that, that it was going to be all over the news, but you think about the ocean. I love the ocean. My kids love the ocean. We love the beach. We love going there. We love playing in the water. The ocean is so much fun, and the ocean is so great. But if Hurricane Matthew shows us anything, it's that you better respect the ocean. And so it can be, kind, it can be fun, but you better have a level of respect for it as well. And I think as a whole, we miss this with God so often. We miss this idea of fear of God. See, often we think of Jesus as this kind and compassionate and, you know, lets the children come to him and he heals sick people and he wants to be your homeboy. Uh, You may have never seen those shirts, but there's a shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy, right? We kind of have this picture of Jesus that he's this just chummy, buddy, buddy uh, aspect and It's no wonder when we think of him like that, that we don't take him serious. That's why I think that so often we are really content with being cultural Christians. There's no fear of God. And not, not fear of being afraid of God, like he's going to punish us, because he takes his punishment on Jesus, but a respect and an awe of the majesty and the wonder of who he is. Right, so we don't take him serious. And so we obey God's commands when it's convenient. Take it or leave it. No big deal. Very nonchalant. Oh, he'll forgive me. Uh, and we're missing it. And we miss out on the fear of God. Our worship suffers as a result. And the first time I think this really struck me, I was reading through the book of Job and reading Job 38. And after... Job has been listening to his three friends give him not-so-good advice. God finally answers Job. In in Job 38, God appears uh, again. He's in the beginning, and then he comes back at the end. And when God appears, just just listen to these words. I remember the first time I read it, how it struck me. Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens the counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And he goes on and on and on. He asks Job and his friends all these questions. He goes, oh, you're so smart. You're so kind. You're so powerful. You're all-knowing. Where were you when I did all this? Where were you when I flung all the stars into creation? Where were you when I created the water, when I parted the seas, when I put all the animals in it? Where were you? What do you know in comparison to me? And you can see it rattles Job and it rattles his friends, and rightly so because it should rattle us as well. Go read it and be in awe. We're we're reading through the Chronicles of Narnia right now with our kids, especially with with Tripp. And C.S. Lewis does this so well in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever read those. Um, Aslan, the lion, represents Jesus, right? And every time, every time somebody hears about Aslan, especially if they've never heard about him or if it's for the first time or whatever, every time it happens, C.S. Lewis makes a point to say how a chill runs over that person. Because at the mere mention of Aslan's name, something happens. And I think that something is exactly what should happen in our hearts and lives. Is that knowing who God is, it's the same with Jesus for us. The same Jesus who created the universe, who casts out demons, who heals the sick, who controls the weather, how can we not take him serious? And who are we to disobey his commands? And so the first implication for us is that God should be feared. But it also leads us to number two, that God should be trusted. And if you look back here at Mark's story, Jesus is 100% intentional and knows exactly what's going on. He's not out of control. He is 100% in control. If you look at it, Jesus initiates the trip, right? Jesus lays down and takes a nap in the back of the boat. He's not really worried, right? But the disciples are, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? How easy it is for us the minute that something happens. The minute that life is falling apart, that our marriage isn't going great, that our children aren't doing well, that our health, our job, our finances, our grades, students, our sports, whatever it is, our relationships, The minute something starts happening, what is so often our first question? Where are you, Jesus? I thought you were going to be here. I thought you cared. And the one thing this story teaches us is that just because hard things happen does not mean that God does not care for us. Just because we go through circumstances, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care for us. But what we do know is that when we go through circumstances, he will be with us. Right? Because it's easy for us to kind of look at the story and be hard on the disciples, right? And look, that's fair enough. I mean, you read the story about the disciples, and they mess up a lot. Like you're kind of like, God, you guys are boneheads. You do not get it. And it's easy to be hard on them, but they didn't have the full picture, and we do. Because we know the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is that Jesus says... Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Tim Keller says that essentially what Jesus is saying is that if you knew how much I loved you, you would have stayed calm. If you knew how much I loved you, you would have stayed calm. You say, well, how do we know that? How do I know how much Jesus loves me? You look at the cross. 
See, the cross, that's where our fear of God builds our faith in God. Because God all-powerful, God all-holy loved us sinful people so much that he sends his son Jesus to live and die in our place. And so when we trust in Jesus, we're forgiven and we receive Jesus' perfect record. And and the all-powerful king of the universe becomes our father and we become his children. And then he promises to never leave us and never forsake us. And while it all seems and while it seems impossible for us to remain calm on the inside when it's storming on the outside, we can by remembering who is in the boat with us. Remembering who is in the boat with us. When I was in high school, one of my best friends in high school, his name was Mark. And Mark is about six foot four and weight fluctuated, but 350 is a pretty good average for the size of, of Mark. And, uh, and Mark, if you were to see him, you would think, holy cow, this guy's like a refrigerator. I mean, he's, he's so big and he's so strong. He was an offensive lineman and he was a great guy to be friends with because there was this understanding at my high school that you didn't mess with Mark. You just you didn't do it. You didn't mess with Mark. And also, by the way, you didn't mess with Mark's friends. And so the fact that Mark was my friend gave me an awful lot of courage that I would not have normally had. And, you know, as someone who on occasion has been known to talk too much or run their mouth a little too often, I was able to take some pretty large leaps of faith because Mark is behind me. And Mark was my friend, and it made me really courageous and really bold because I knew you're not going to mess with me. Because if you mess with me, you got to mess with Mark. And you don't want to mess with Mark. Mark on my side, nothing to fear. And it's the same way with Jesus. With Jesus on our side, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. And so in the midst of the storm, he is present. And he is faithful. And you can trust him. Which leads me to point number three. So because he's all of those things, number three, wake him up. Wake Jesus up. Are you in a storm? Is water filling the boat that you're in, wake him up. You know, look, go back, I've said it three times, and it's just baffling to me, believe it, but so often, think about it, we struggle to pull God in. And we believe that, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to be in, and so we kind of pray these half-hearted prayers versus throwing everything we've got at him. Wake up, Jesus. Wake up, I am drowning Wake up, my finances are drowning. Wake up, my marriage is drowning. My children are drowning. You're dealing with maybe a a parent who's sick. Maybe your own health. Maybe it's your grades, students. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your relationship with your parents. Whatever the storm is and you feel like God has abandoned you and he doesn't care as a child of the king, that is not the truth. He is so present. 
He is so in the boat with you. Wake him up. Some of you this morning, that sounds great, right? But like the man whose son was healed by Jesus, who cried when Jesus says, if you only have faith, heal your son. And how does he respond back? I do believe, but what? But forgive my unbelief. Maybe that's just you this morning. Maybe you're here and you've got a storm and you really want it. The idea of calling out to Jesus sounds really good, but you don't even think you've got the faith to do it. My encouragement to you is pray for faith. Pray to the one who gives faith. Pray that God would be faithful, that God would give you faith. Ask for it. Seek the Lord. Whatever is going on, Wake him up. You know, so often when these things happen, the first thing we run to is not, oh God, help me do this. It's how do I figure this out? How do I work my way out of this? How do I plan my way out of this? How do I make this step and 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 this step? And then, oh yeah, by the way, if I get to the end of it and I need your help, Jesus, I'll ask. He wants it in the very beginning because we're desperate. We're desperate without him. So wake him up. Maybe you don't even know how to pray. You say, what? Yeah, maybe it's, you feel so far gone, that you feel so far removed, that you don't even know if Jesus is in the boat. And if he is, you feel like you've, you're distant. But if you've put, placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, then he's in the boat. And I would encourage you this Wednesday night to come to our healing service. There's something powerful that when you aren't able to pray, having people to pray for you and with you and on your behalf. You say, well, that sounds kind of weird. It works and it happens. You know, today, we, the House family, we, we have an anniversary today. Today is a four-year anniversary. My daughter is about four and a half years old. But today is a four-year anniversary. Because when she was six months old, she, she came down. She had seizures randomly one morning. Just started having a, this string of seizures. And she spent, the week, she spent a week in Texas Children's Hospital where we were trying to figure out what is going on here. And I remember during that time period crying out to God, save my daughter, save my daughter. And then I remember getting to a point in that process of Kelly and I have talked about it where we didn't even, I didn't even have the words to pray anymore. And it was interesting because during that time and in that time, there were so many people who were praying for us. And I, the only way I know how to describe it is that in a moment where I was at the end of myself and I didn't even know what to pray, it was like the prayers of other people were leading us to the throne of grace and giving us peace and mercy. And praise God, uh, four-year anniversary of being seizure-free. And she is not supposed to be doing as well as she is. Seizures in infants are a terrible, terrible thing. And clearly she can talk and walk, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I remember that time of crying out and being completely undone and having others pray on my behalf. And so if that's you this morning, And I would encourage you to come to our healing service.
this coming Wednesday night. Come and let's pray together. Maybe you're here for the first time and you, you never trusted Jesus at all. You're like, man, I, I, I know he's not in my boat because I've never trusted him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, I need to, to trust Jesus for the first time. And you can do that. You can do that right now in your heart. By confessing that, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. But that you saved me. And I put my faith and my trust in you. And I want, I want you in my boat. And I want to get in your boat. What's the storm going on in your life? Wake him up. Remember who's on the boat. Fear him, trust him, and wake him up.